Salem Salem the podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Jeffrey Lilly. And I'm Sarah Black. And today we have a special guest with us. Our first fellow tour guide, Mike Vitka, a.k.a. Dr. Vitka of Spellbound Tours. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. I think this is going to be a very fun afternoon. We are so excited to have you. We've already been chit-chatting away and finally got that thing on record because we're just missing too much good stuff already. Bigfoot erotica. That's the best kind. Salem trials. That's from you, Sarah, right? No. No. (laughs) Don't do that. Have you been writing something on the side? Guys. (laughs) Some fan fiction? Dude. I would buy a ticket for Bewitched right now if that was what the tour entailed. Just an FYI, they are ganging up on me right now. Let the record show that I own no Bigfoot erotica, and these two are all about it. You don't need to own it when you live it. Like that poor man in Ape Canyon. (laughs) But that was a real thing. Look it up. (laughs) Okay. (sighs) No Bigfoots in Salem, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Okay, Mike. So you've been working with Spellbound Tours since 2003? Yes. 2003 is when I got involved in Spellbound Tours. I'd been in Salem for about a year at that point. And I'd been working in the tourist industry and going to Salem State. And I had a very unusual paranormal experience, which if you want, I can tell you about. And from there, I met a woman named Molly Stewart, who at the time was one of the best paranormal investigators in the country. And at the time, she actually had a little museum that was full of her ghostly photographs and creepy artifacts from all around the world. She had a real executioner's sword in there. And I got introduced to her, and from her, I learned about paranormal investigation, did some investigations with her, and then kept working for the company, telling the Salem stories, learning about the Salem hauntings, and then going out and doing investigations from time to time. And it's been like that since, oh boy, 2003? Pushing 20 years. Pushing it hard. (laughs) Congratulations. The company, uh, this year... We've been saying we've been celebrating 20 years as Spellbound Tours, but after everything went to press, I actually talked to Molly, and she said she started in 2000, so this is the 22nd anniversary of Spellbound okay. Tours. And But this is your company now. Now, yep. When she retired, I took over the company. Well, congratulations. Back in 2012, and we've really seen it grow a lot since then. So this is your 10th year? anniversary it is i feel like we should celebrate we, we, we should get i don't know we should, we should record a podcast uh, we, we could record a podcast <laughs> that is a good way to celebrate <laughs> now might i say since i've been coming to salem uh my father moved here back in 2010 and as soon as he got here he wanted to bring us to all the cool salem stuff right yes. now i will say we never took your tour oh no wow i i sorry but I remember seeing you on the streets with the top hat and like the steampunk vibe and the cane and you're just strutting down Essex Street. There's something about your aura that I, and I've never, I don't think I've ever used that word before, <laughs> but I don't really know how else to describe it. You vibe, you vibe. carry the vibe. I feel like I use that word too much, but you carry yourself. There's just something so cool about you. You are Salem cool. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Well, unlike you, I've been on Mike's tour 
probably five. Well, I mean, or I took six. I, times. We took it together. I remember. Yeah. I was surprised when they took it. <laughs> I should have known. I knew something was up when I saw the name come in. I but was I was being a little cheeky. When when Jeff took the tour, the name that came on the ticket manifest was uh, Ray Parks, the actor who played Darth Maul. And uh, why why on earth would I have used that alias, Mike? Well, <laughs> Jeff and I actually went to high school together back in, I think, 1897 or something. I think something like that. And when The Phantom Menace came out, we were so excited. Oh, it was a, that was a day. It was a lot of, and I dressed up as Darth Maul. I did the makeup. I had my head shaved and my hair spiked into perfect horns like oh Darth Maul. God. Shaved his whole head, bleached Except the tips. Except for the tufts. That's commitment right yeah. there. And people saw my face in line for the movie ticket. They thought it was a mask. And then I would say, oh, thank you. You and were they would freak uh, out. You were first in line. You, you, bought, you went to the Tingsboro Movie Theater and bought a dozen or more tickets. I skipped school that day to get the tickets. Yep. And yep. even some of the teachers bought them from me. <laughs> Miss, Miss, Miss Cook McEachern was, yes. was with us. She took the tour too. Did she, she? She took the tour maybe about two years ago. Oh. It was very nice to see her again. So if she's listening, hello. And hello. <laughs> um, but yeah. And then, and then we skipped school. You were first in line that we had like deck chairs and we were sitting, waiting in line for like 12 hours. It was fun. And you know, as much as people say the Phantom Menace kind of sucks and they're not entirely wrong. They are not. I will never forget how much fun the hype going and, into And that was. night, uh, just with everyone in line, we were like sitting there playing cards, ordering pizza. We had that Star Wars disco record yeah. on. <laughs> it was uh, that was that was a lot. Yeah, of fun. I end up I end up going back to that movie just because I remember the fun leading up to it. It's not even so much the quality of the movie; it's just the excitement from it's the nostalgia. The, the yeah. fact that yeah. there had been no Star Wars for like what twenty years, and then there it was mm-hmm. all of a sudden. But Jeffrey, this, did you dress up? I did not. I, I I did not. I did have a top hat on though. There's there's a who, picture somewhere. Who in Star Wars wears a top hat? I I was just a weird high school kid who wanted to wear a top hat. Okay. Well, you did the Vampire the Masquerade game, if I'm correct. I did. Right? I did. I wish I'd gotten into that back then because it seems like so much fun. Yeah, I, I did do a lot of that. But I, the vampires in Star Wars, vampires today, like I still do the vampire thing today. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess that stuck with me as well. I know uh, some of the people in the vampire crowd are also big Star Wars fans, yes. mostly. Mostly like Sith Lord times. <laughs> oh, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're probably Slytherin too. Yeah. You know, that's the house <laughs> I got put in. Jeffrey's pointing at his portrait of Salazar Slytherin sitting on the mantle. Thank you. Now, what house are you in, Sarah? Ravenclaw. Oh, no. My 100%. My was in Ravenclaw. I'm good. I'm good we with it. We can still be friends. I'm totally good with it. If you knew me in school. Yeah. No, to be fair, you're... you're um, Tread lightly here. <laughs> At least you're not in Gryffindor. We can say that. The the uh, the iconic Ravenclaw with their um, books and, and Sarah with her uh, research, I think might be. The, <laughs> I, I am getting death glares through the. <laughs> I used to be known as like I had two aliases when I was in school because I was working so much and I had I'd taken so many classes at once. So it was just a lot going on 45 hours a week, 16 credit hours. I wasn't all the way there. And so I was school Sarah and school Sarah was very testy and she'd lash out sometimes. But then 
when finals were over, Summer Sarah comes out to play. <laughs> is that the one who's on the roller skates? Yes. Well, yeah. now Sarah is always on the roller skates, but I am seeing a bit of a resurgence of this duality with this podcast. Just I have it's not taking... experienced that side of you at all in <laughs> any way, shape, or form. I don't believe him. I, I wouldn't believe me either. Speaking of skates, I got my first uh, request to do a tour on skates. Oh. Do yeah. you think that will be safe with the Salem streets? No. <laughs> well, at first I kind of laughed. I think part of it was just her joking around, but she says, you know, I'm from New Hampshire. When are we going to do a tour on skates? And you're like, never, because I'm not going down Essex street on roller skates. But I literally just went down. Well, it depends on what part of Essex. Yeah. Of course you can't do the ped mall, the pedestrian mall on skates, but you can do either side of it on skates. You can do chestnut, you can do derby, you can do all around the commons, you can do in the commons. So I think one of these days I may put together a little skate map of Salem and I may gather up some skate friends and uh, go around and talk history. Are you- Obviously we will not be moving while talking. But we will stop in front. Are you part of that skate hags group? I yes, I hashtag. am. Yes, I am. They're an incredible group of people down in Boston. Uh, we meet every Monday from 630 to 830. I just want to pause for a second. Why? Does, does anyone smell? Is that smoke? Okay, That's hold, terrible. Hold, hold on. We literally just recorded the fire episode and just talked about the great fire of 1914. Yes. Are we still recording or no? Yeah, but it's okay. (laughs) So that little interruption was fun. Pardon the interruption. We got to witness a garbage truck on fire. Smoldering. An actual garbage fire right out on Lafayette Street. Is that a metaphor for Salem in some way? I don't know, but I, I feel like the uh, Salem trash memes should probably get, get down here. Get down did there. you get a picture and send it up there <laughs> to him? I did not. I, should, <laughs> I probably should have. Uh, my apologies if you never get to see the dumpster on fire. Dumpster, dump truck on fire. Well, I mean, don't apologize unless you set the fire. That's fair. I did not set the fire. So many fires lately. I know. The tis, tis the season. City is being cleansed. <laughs> so mike yes have you always been into spooky things yes ever since i was a little kid uh the first movie i ever saw that was not an animated feature was the original frankenstein i had found that in the uh, library in the public library they had that series of books with the orange spines i know Anybody listening of a certain age and certain inclination will recognize these, the Crestwood series books. And they were all about the classic monsters. They had ones for just about every specific monster and some on just genres like mad scientists and wolfmen and stuff like that. And I just became obsessed with the original uh, Boris Karloff portrayal of the Frankenstein monster from 1931. And I just begged my parents, and they finally rented it on a big VHS. And oh, I love it. it was very frightening for like a five-year-old. Yeah, and that's it young. It still sticks with me today. I remember I always wanted to leave the Halloween decorations up. Uh, there was one that was a big jointed Frankenstein monster, which I've been trying to identify which particular one it was since then. I have one photograph of me with it when I was a kid, and I think I've pinned down the artist who made it, but 
it's really rare. Like I'll do eBay ah. searches every couple of weeks for uh, die cut jointed Frankenstein. But yeah, so, so those are the ones with uh, the like, movable uh, arms. Yes, yeah, the, the yeah. arms and legs that move. <clears throat> and I found similar ones, but this exact one is elusive. Because it, it probably was just another random one, but that happens to be your one. The one that speaks to me yes. still. <laughs> I'll try to dig up that photograph and put it on the Spellbound Instagram That would be good. Point. Love to see that. But yeah, I always like spooky stuff. Um, when I was really little, I also had what may or may not have been a UFO-type encounter. So yeah, it's always been there. Now, you've, you've always liked the, the UFOs. Oh, yes. I mean... <laughs> Honestly, I'll, I'll tell people when they ask, uh, ghosts are my career, but UFOs are something of a passion. That's fair. Yeah, in, in, in high school, it was UFOs and Elvis. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I am so excited for that new Elvis movie coming out. Right, it looks really like, good. I'm going to see that at Salem Cinema, and it's I'm really looking forward to it. It I'm looks, gonna, it looks you good. You're going to dress the part? I'm assuming you have an Elvis I can't fit suit. in my jumpsuit anymore, <laughs> but I do have a beautiful gold sequined uh sport coat that looks oh. an awful lot like that one he wore on those tours like i think 56 and 57 so yeah i'm probably gonna wear that to the premiere Very nice. snazzy if my hair grows out enough by then i'll comb it up um yeah elvis can't be beat so were you a ghost believer then as well not particularly i always liked the idea of ghosts and i always thought ghosts were fun and interesting mm-hmm. but they always seem to be just stories cuz you mentioned this moment in your life that really yes that happened when i was going to salem state university and uh, which by the way parts of that university are very haunted so so this is an authentic haunted salem ghost story yes in fact, honestly, the only paranormal investigation that I ever called off was at Salem State. Whoa. The partner I work with is extremely skeptical, which is a good kind of person to work with. Uh, it's my friend, Nicole Faree. She's the person who just put on the Dark Spring Goth and Post-Punk Music Festival in Boston. But uh, she was doing the investigation with me, and we were at a particular part of Salem State, which I won't disclose which part it was. Like, we, we can talk about this later, though. Oh, for sure. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and we were actually scouting for potentially having it be used on one of the ghost shows that reached out trying to find oh, out where it's cool. good to go in Salem. And we were there, and she got spooked. And she's like, well, we, we should leave. And when someone like her gets spooked, it's really time to go. So she got in the driver's seat. I got in the passenger seat, and it felt like somebody else got in the car behind us. The car actually lowered down. It felt like somebody was there, and we did not talk about it. When you do an investigation, it's not really a good idea to talk about what you're feeling and experiencing because you don't want to confabulate on memories. Okay. But it felt like somebody was right there basically breathing down our necks, and we both had the same exact mental picture of who it was behind us. And this feeling did not dissipate until we got back to where we were going. We got back to the office, which was in our house, and whatever it was got out. And then we started talking about it. And we both had the same mental image of a young woman in 1940s kind of clothing. That's so specific. And she basically seemed like she'd hitched a ride from Salem State to where we were living on Howard Street, right across from the Howard Street Cemetery. And that was very, very spooky. And what made me think it had some real validity to it is we both imagined exactly the same person behind us. 
Like we did not discuss it until we'd taken records of what we felt like we were experiencing. Wow. So you both had the same image and it's not a, it's not your common like dark figure with a top hat. It is a female and you said 1940s? 1940s clothing. That's eerie. It was very weird, especially considering the history of that building. It was strange because there had now where we were at was an administrative type building way, way, way back when it had been a convent full of nuns. Never would there have been a young girl in 1940s clothing. And then we did a little research. Turned out at one point there had been a Catholic girls' school there. And it seems like one of them kind of decided to join us. But that wasn't the story that made me want to get involved professionally in ghosts. That was something fun that happened later. So Something fun that happened later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that, sure. So it was... uh, I believe 2003 or 2004, and I was going to the university, and I got a part-time job at 10 Federal Street, which you guys will know is the site of the original Witch Dungeon. It was actually for the Massachusetts Bar Examination Group. They were training lawyers to pass the bar. They'd rented space right where the dungeons had been. It's kind of ironic. Yeah, Yeah, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so me and the girl who was working there, who's the feature of the story, we would hear what sounded like footsteps just kind of clumping up and down the hallway. We'd see lights going on and off. And that was spooky, but it could have been explained. But then one day she stood up like to go to lunch. She got up and then she was pushed right back down to her desk and she stood up again and she was pushed back down again. And then she got up again and was slapped across the face. Oh my God. And we saw a big red mark on her face, like somebody had hit her. And she said it felt like electricity going through her body. And that is what made me want to investigate ghostly stuff more. That's when I sought out Molly Stewart and wanted to get involved and join like a ghost hunting team. Right. So you were right there when it happened. I saw it happen. Oh my gosh. And isn't it funny that that took place at the site of the dungeon and the people who were having the experiences were people in the law type profession. Mm -hmm. I think we sometimes joke about that spot just because it is a modern day, large office building. Like Mm -hmm. how, you know, everything in Salem is haunted, but really that place holds so much history and energy on that spot. Well, I think it speaks to the haunted history of that building because I know we all go by it on our tours and Salem, as I mean, we all know, everything is super expensive, yet there's no vacancies. There's always vacancies in the 10 Federal Street building. There's like a permanent sign that says space for lease. Like you can't get an apartment or a shop or anything, but that 10 building Federal is Street is wide open. Ah. Oh, now you're going to go get a shop. I was going to say, Jeff, 10- you want to open up a... <laughs> <laughs> open up podcast studio <laughs> in there. I mean, no 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 because then what's going to happen is we're going to be recording and then all the audio is going to be overlaid with weird creepy stuff and we're going to have to record again or the audio is just going to come out like silent we'll be like oh we recorded like two hours worth of audio and then there's nothing there no that just that does not seem like a smart idea we did have a moment the other day when something weird happened on the audio not this audio but oh that's that, yeah so i what we happened? were talking about bridget bishop and uh, our experience down at the memorial for the 330th anniversary of her death. Oh, yes. Nice that was little, just a few days ago. Yes. So we 
decided to do a quick recording on the Bewitch statue defacement, and we included our experience down at the memorial. And as I'm talking about it, Jeffrey's laptop starts speaking. So like, like it's like almost the, 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 the Siri, and then you ask a question, right. right? But I can be like, Siri, open Google. It's not on. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work. And it's also, I'm assuming it's calibrated to yeah, your I mean, voice. Yeah, but it's also not like Siri, Google, Siri, why is the sky blue? Like it's not doing any, but it decided to start repeating back to me and trying to search out the words that I described or I said, do you remember what it was? It was something like no, a, a ceremony for her. And then his laptop says, okay, searching ceremony for her. Well, that's odd. It was creepy. And it doesn't, it doesn't do it. It was like, hello. Yeah, she's not listening. Siri's asleep yeah. now. Yeah. So we had one a couple of years ago. This uh, pertains to malfunctions and uh, audio distortions. Uh, I also do a podcast. It's called Spellbound Salem Radio. And barely anybody listens to it, but we have fun. Go, but everyone oh. listen, go check it out. It's yes, my friend do. Bridget and I do it. And when we were first starting, our original idea was just to, you know, review weird books. And we were doing one called Flying Saucers and the Three Men. And it's a book from the 50s that... Uh, yeah, it sounds like like a, like a Little Red Riding Hood or some like... It, I was going to say it sounds like the Bigfoot erotica. <laughs> but yeah, this, this you is... You keep coming back to that. This is the book that basically invented the men in black myth, Uh Flying Saucers and the Three Men, written by Albert K. Bender. It's from that book that we get the Men in Black stories today. It all grew from that book. And Bridget and I read the book. We were talking about it. But every single time we mentioned the Men in Black, we'd lose the feed. We were not able to record. The episode kept dropping. We had to keep calling back. We had to keep recording. I'm sure it was just a coincidence. But every time we mentioned the Men in Black, it would like crackle. would hear like a little beep. It was done. done. I don't like, think we ended up finishing that episode. We tried so several times, and every time the Men in Black were referenced, it was, and that was the end. I mean, there's some things you just don't talk about, right? Like I mentioned uh, the the Scottish play. Just, <laughs> I'm gonna say it. <laughs> don't say it. Should I say it? It's bad luck. I mean, we're not in a theater. So we're not it's okay. in a theater. I don't know. Yeah, uh, we can say it not in a theater. We can say it not in a theater. Yeah, Macbeth. <laughs> You're not supposed to do that. Fire. Oh no, no, that's like a big. You don't, you don't say the name. You don't, you don't say the name. Yeah, you're not supposed to say that name. Macbeth. It's the Scottish play. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Big, big taboo. Big, big superstition. You uh-uh, don't know. We said it in school. Shh. Well, when you were reading it, yeah, not in the theater though, right? Oh, it's only like, like it's, it's okay if you're like sitting, but still, you should probably just refer to it by its. Interesting. And the actors can say the name when they're performing it. But you're not really supposed to say it off stage, I guess. The more you know. Yeah. But I, I love love it because that's also where we got a lot of construct of witches from. Is yes. From, from yes. Shakespeare. Oh, yes. The three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. A lot of fun stuff they put in there. The nose of a Turk. Yes. Yeah. I think we talked. We might have talked some of that on the familiar episode. Mm, uh, Macbeth. Macbeth. It, yeah. start, it starts with the three witches stirring up their cauldron. Yeah. We did not mention it on the familiar episode. Did not. Oh, I, I, that was probably just in my notes because they talk about some constructs of, of these creatures and mm-hmm. things that the, the witches are using. So my favorite familiar of all time is the ridiculous notion that Bridget Bishop had a pet monkey who was her familiar. 
<laughs> have you heard that tale going around? So, so, so this is, uh, we, we talked about this. Uh, in our familiar episode, and it's her neighbor, John Louder, who claims that he saw a chicken-footed, black-furred, human-faced imp, and when it spoke to him through a remarkably human-like face, yes, um, is is his claim. A little capuchin. Yeah. So I I personally think that that is a, a valid and uh, true claim. Real, I thought he was making up the tale of this demon and then through the years we tried to explain it by saying, oh, she had a pet monkey brought over from so, one of the ships. So I think that the monkey thing I've heard is is taking it like four steps too far. However, uh, I think he is uh, experiencing uh, sleep paralysis mm. and hallucinations and the reason that he'd been looking at Bridget Bishop in, in her apple orchard at all was because her chickens had escaped their chicken coop. So his hallucination from a construct of thing he's being cursed by a witch is this sort of re-hallucinated, imaginative, imaginative? Any, imaginative, sure, construct of this chicken-footed, black-furred, human face thing. So the chicken that he's been staring at is now has a human face and is talking to him. Did they ever describe... If the face looked like somebody they knew? No, no. He said, he uh, said human. Human. I think I, just the idea of the human face being transposed onto this impish creature yeah. is jarring enough. It, it's, it, I think it said with a remark. I think that the transcript said a, a remarkably human face. A remarkably human face. But not, not, it doesn't, it doesn't actually say a human face. Similar to a human. Yes. So like Gwyneth Paltrow? <laughs> But I'm glad you brought up the idea of sleep paralysis, because that's something when people come to me with their own ghost stories, the very first thing I always try to rule out is sleep paralysis. So many people, when they are having encounters, whenever the story starts out with them being in bed, you know where it's going to go. If you're seeing things and you cannot move. The the Sasquatch is where that's (laughs) going. I wish. (laughs) No, if you're if you're in bed, if you're reclined, if you're sort of on that brink of sleep and wakefulness, if you're seeing something that shouldn't be there, try to move. If you see the thing and you can move and it doesn't go away, that's when you should be worried. If you see the thing and you can even move like a little finger, if you can move even a little bit, uh-huh. it might be something. But if you can't move, you can just chalk it up to sleep paralysis. So the only thing that I will say to counter that is my own experiences. Ooh. So I have my own little version of sleep paralysis, and we've talked about this in a previous episode. And I won't even say it's sleep paralysis because I don't lose any uh, movement at right. all. But when I awake, when my eyes are open, I see what it's usually not even tied to a dream, but there is that crossover where it is straight up a visual. I've run out of the bedroom before I have searched the floor, like looking for things. Cause I thought I saw something the first time it ever happened. I thought it was a ghost. I literally called my boyfriend at the time I was in high school. <laughs> I was like, I just saw a ghost. I just saw a ghost. He probably thought I was crazy. I was just coming out of it, but well, I, had, I mean, I had seen a woman hovering above me and which is pretty much exactly sleep paralysis right there but thankfully i'm able to move was it work sarah or was it summer sarah it was work sarah (laughs) we've we've talked about this too very stress induced that's usually when it arises do you have sleep problems in general not too much no i actually have not experienced it um in a good like five or six months I'd say. That's probably for the best. Probably. Do you find it correlates with stress in your life? 
Sometimes. Sometimes okay. it just happens. Oftentimes it's a spider, which is the worst. The one like a, time like a, I've been ever hallucinated huge, small, multiple. was a spider. I woke up. And I saw the spider. It was kind of see-through, and it was just crawling up the wall. And I thought I was losing my mind because it was a see-through black spider. And it wasn't real. It wasn't. It wasn't there. I couldn't touch it. I couldn't even barely see it. And then once I fully woke up, the thing was totally gone, and I was I was definitely freaked out. I've seen things that aren't even like natural, basically like the familiar you describe, but large. So. If anything, that's that's like that's exactly that's exactly what witch. these people. Ah, Sarah, no, I'm Sarah. being targeted by a witch. <laughs> Hold on, where that's a mark. Duh, stop it! <laughs> I see a witch's mark upon you. Do you have pins? <laughs> I do. We can get some. Let's, yeah, <laughs> we could. We could. Mm. Guys, let's go to the Peabody Essex Museum and get the real pins. <laughs> oh, they have real pins. They have a jar of pins in their collection. And at one point, they had been on display as the witch-pricking pins. Later on in history, people tried to recant that and say they were basically just used as like old paper clips to hold papers together. Mm-hmm. But I like the original interpretation that they were used to poke people. Yeah, that's just one of the secrets that fine institution is holding on to. Do you have a favorite object oh, oh in the Peabody Essex Museum? Jeffrey is particularly fond of the, the long neck penguin. Yes. Oh, I love him. The yes, long probably neck penguin. Between, I can't decide between a, a mistaxidermied penguin and a murder weapon. It's like if you want to know my the personality. The club is my favorite. Do you remember the turtle, which has been dripping oil for hundreds of years? Yes. I used to yes. see that when I'd go with my father sometimes. I think he's he's on display. He in finally Salem. got brought back. It he's, is the exhibit. And yeah. he's still oily. Yes. But my all-time favorite thing that the Peabody Essex Museum owns is Blackbeard the Pirate's skull. Yes. And that is something which you can do your research, and it the trail ends at the Peabody Essex Museum. Unequivocally. Yep. The story goes that Blackbeard's final battle down in North Carolina, um, he may have gotten too drunk on rum. His ship was swarmed by the pirate hunter, and uh, Blackbeard unfortunately, finally went down in battle. He was shot multiple times. He was stabbed multiple times. In fact, uh, there's one guy who stabbed him. Blackbeard actually said to him something like, that was a good stab, lad, or something to that effect. And Blackbeard finally expired. And when he was dead, his head was chopped off his shoulders. The body was tossed into the ocean. The legend says that the body swam around the ship 13 times trying to find the head. I'm pretty sure that's just a legend, but the, hey, the current could have just been swirling and the body might have been floating around. That's could just, you imagine with the blood pouring oh, out of all the wounds? That would have been gorgeous. The sharks coming, but the head itself was saved. The guy who decapitated Blackbeard, he tied it to the mast of his ship and just came into port and everybody saw that head and some people rejoiced. Some people were sad to see Blackbeard gone. The bounty was claimed on Blackbeard. The head hung around for a while. Then the skin was stripped from the bone. The skull got cut and they scooped out the brain and the skull got silver plated and they say it was turned into a drinking goblet. I'd love to use that, wouldn't you? I would, I would get so drunk on that. Yeah. Like, I would. Would you drink grog, or would you have to drink the beverage they call the Skull Rattler? I don't anything. I that was I the one George Washington liked, the Skull yeah, Rattler. I, I don't. 
I don't think I'd care. Yeah. It's like, I just want to drink out of a skull. Well, it gets yeah. even better, too, because uh, you see it referred to as a goblet, but it's actually more like a serving bowl. And weirdly enough, in some tellings, they refer to the bowl as the infant. And so it'd be ladling out this like creaky grog from the infant. I and mean, I, I have a skull in my room. We could. Oh, yeah. We should, we should have some fun with it. <laughs> but so, yeah, the Blackbeard skull stayed in North Carolina for a very long time. And in the 1950s, it came into the possession of a somewhat local author, a man named Edward Rowe Snow. Now, Edward Rowe Snow was quite a character. He did a whole series of great books. It's uh, History and Legends of New England. Uh, my favorite one of his series is Pirates and Buccaneers of the Atlantic Coast. And he ended up with Blackbeard's skull in his collection. And when he did his research, he spent a lot of the time in the Peabody Museum and the Essex Institute doing research because he wrote a lot of maritime stories. And after his death, his widow gave them the skull. The widow Snow gave Blackbeard's skull to the Peabody Essex Museum. Just gave it away. And I mean, it was under the impression it would be on display as an amazing artifact. Of course. But now it's hidden down in their archives. It's not to be seen by anybody. They just say, it's it not lo- really their vibe. They keep it locked <laughs> under wraps. Probably with the uh, shrunken heads. Well, the shrunk, I'll get to them in a minute. <laughs> the, <laughs> Sorry to jump the, the gun. The, the Blackbeard skull, the excuse is the provenance might be a little fishy, but at the very least, it's been a skull that has been purported to be Blackbeards and presented as Blackbeards since at least the 1600s. I mean, I feel they should bring it out. And if anything, if they have to qualify it, they can do what the British Museum does with the crystal skull and just have that little note, like how the British Museum explains that when the crystal skull was first discovered, people thought it was a real, somehow human yeah, skull yeah. made out of quartz crystalline material. Now we know it's a hoax, but it's still a very cool thing to see. And the British Museum has it right. Like it's still historically important, regardless. Right. Yeah, for Uh, the interpretation of when they got it. and then I want them to bring out the infant. I feel like every year they have uh, the big fancy holiday ball at Hamilton Hall. Mm -hmm. And I do like to go to that. I missed it the past couple of years for COVID. But it would just make my year if they could bring the infant to the ball. And we could all have our champagne out of that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I've, I've been to the Hamilton. We saw it a few years ago. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we went this past year. It wasn't quite up to. Wasn't it like a sit down kind of thing? Yeah. This year? So, so there was no introduction and, you know, you no. You didn't get to bounce on the spring floor. Well, you could, no bowing. You know how they mm-hmm. normally announce the you. The court. Yeah. So that wasn't uh, in session. Uh, but I, I've, I'm not sure Hamilton Hall would be the right atmosphere. Eh. For the skull. Well, actually, I've got a kind of creepy Hamilton Hall story, too. Well, (laughs) Well, why don't we uh, save that one for... Should we rewind to the shrunken heads, though? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. The Peabody Essex Museum had a great collection of human shrunken heads. Uh, I believe they're made by the Javaro tribe in South America. And before you have to ask, here's how you shrink a head. You start by cutting it off the body. And then you slowly, carefully peel the skin off of it. You want to peel it really carefully so you don't end up distorting it too much. And then you boil it slowly. 
You have to boil it for about three days because you don't want it to go too fast and turn to mush. You don't want to boil it too hard and have it come out like a well-done steak or something. And it just slowly shrinks and slowly shrinks. The common misconception is the skull is shrunk. That is absolutely not it's true. It's just, just the skin. It's just the skin. All the cartilage will melt out. The little ear bones will fall out. And after a few days, you end up with this little baseball size thing and then you have to slowly carefully sculpt out the features because the nose of the cartilage will just turn mushy so you have to sculpt out the nose uh-huh. uh, the ears are usually fine that's how you can tell a real shrunken head from a fake one because with the fake ones that are made out of goat skin the ears always look wrong the ears are very vague and undefined the real ones look like horrible little human raisins and then the mouth and the eyes get sewn shut and the idea depending on who's doing it and whose head it is it's either keeping the person's soul or spirit in there as punishment or you can use it as a talisman to get their power to help you there's ceremonial ones that are honoring your ancestors and there's also ones to show that you vanquished your foe and you're lording it over him you've got his head with you and there's also what's called the tourist heads. A lot of the indigenous people realized that uh, white colonizers were fascinated by these heads, and so they didn't want to sell their ceremonial ones. They also had a limited number of the ceremonial ones, so they just started uh, lopping off heads and making them kind of half-assed for the tourists. Oh, my god! And a lot of the heads that we see in American collections are the tourist heads. Um If anybody has a lead on a real shrunken head, I would buy it right now. (laughs) But the Peabody Essex Museum has a bunch of heads in their collection, or at least they did. The uh, Javaro tribe has been really big on getting their stuff repatriated to them. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of uh, negotiations. There's been a lot of legal stuff. And the heads of the Peabody Essex Museum are basically in the basement earmarked to be sent back to South America. That's good. So yeah, they're going back to to Brazil eventually. Um, I wish somebody could crack that box open and slip me ahead, but uh, (laughs) you know, I guess they're going home. You saw them on those school trips. We took a school trip to the uh, Peabody Essex Museum probably in eighth grade. They used to have them out. Yeah. Oh, they were out. They were just there. They were, they were in the same area where they had the big cauldron for boiling down whale blubber. Was like, can, uh, that's th- so cool. They used to have them in advertisements. So if you see like for the, mm-hmm. the Peabody Essex Museum from like the 18, I'm not sure. The but it was the Essex thing. Institute and the Peabody Museum, yeah. separate entities. They have like shrunken heads and you can see them. The only ones I've ever seen uh, that I know of was in the Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford, uh, England. Oh. Which were, were really, really cool. Those, ah, uh, I love shrunken heads. Like the one I wear on my hat, he's a replica. He's a good replica. But he is one of the uh, go. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, uh, Jeff here just showed me a picture of a real one, and I get excited every time I see yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is from the the Pitt Rivers Museum in so, in Oxford, England. So but, just to clarify, the skull is still in there. The, no, 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 no skull. No skull. The, the skull is gone. Skull is gone. Oh, look at them! They're so cute. <laughs> But yeah, the one I have on my hat, he is a replica, but the bones are human bones. The uh, If you see the ring of bones on my hat, yes. Yes. they're metatarsals, okay, like what you've got in your feet, and the one on the back is a vertebrae. 
Now, in most yeah. states, it is totally legal to buy and sell human bones. Yes. As long as they're retired medical specimens or they're so old that they're retired museum pieces. Unfortunately, you can't go dig your own up. Now, I like the bones because, honestly, I think they look cool. But a lot of people who work with spirits feel like the bones help endear themselves to the spirits. Like it's almost like a channeling kind of thing. You know how some people... Like a connection. Right. Like a lot of witchy people, they'll use wands or they'll use crystals and they'll Mm -hmm. use dousing rods. And they feel that that leads them to the spirit. It helps them connect. In my opinion, the crystals and wands and all that good stuff are tools to focus your own energy. But the bones sort of can serve the same purpose. Like I like to explain those bones as almost being antennas to bring the ghost down. I love I love skulls. I have a, a gorgeous skull in my room. Where'd you uh, get them from? The Oddities Market here. Oh yes, yeah, this, yeah. Pa- yep. this past winter. This past winter, that was my little my little treat for myself for uh, being uh, a, a year in business. That is a good uh, celebratory piece. Yes, yeah, and he's he's great. I don't I should have showed him to you. So on. On it, someone in pencil had written the different pieces oh, of, of the skull. Nice. Yeah, it's a it's a lovely little little thing. I got one for my girlfriend a couple of years ago, also at the Oddities Market. It's a forensic skull. It had Ooh. been a uh, probable mafia hit, <laughs> and the guy's teeth. He was a young man, but he has the most messed up giant horse teeth. And uh, yeah, he sits on her shelf in her home and. She always like puts a blanket over him when her parents come to uh, visit. No, mine's mine's on full display. Oh yeah, mine are out and proud. Yeah. I was gonna say, I I recall not too long ago when we took that tour, you kindly invited us back to your place, and yes. we went out for a little walk with your dog. Oh, and Luke, he's Luke, the best, the cutest. But when you brought us inside, there was just casually a uh, a skeleton. Oh right, yeah, right next to the front door. I need to get him mounted. Um, he's he's an old old uh, secret society skeleton. He's so old that the sternum type piece was actually made out of human leather to keep him together. Oh. Nowadays they're using like a plasticky stuff. But yeah, if you ever come over again, I'll make you touch the human leather. Sure. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Luke because he is a little ghoul. I was telling you this on the ride over. From, I live in a house from 1706. And so the nails are always popping out of the floor. Mm-hmm. I cut my foot. And he ran to the blood. He just was lapping it up. Like, I'm afraid to go to sleep. He will, uh, he'll eat me alive. He's got a vampire dog. Cats will eat your eyeballs. (laughs) And they'll smother your babies. (laughs) Which means if I ever have a baby, I'm going to have to get a cat. (laughs) Good you brought up Luke. Because he figures into one of my favorite ghost stories that's happened to me. So you know where I live. You've been over there. You helped me move a couch yeah, into yeah. it. Yeah, we're like neighbors. And Oh, yeah. Almost all the tour guides live in the same neighborhood. That's fun. Except me. Well, I mean, we'll get you in the McIntyre <laughs> district eventually. <laughs> but so, yeah, the house was built in 1706 for Captain Joseph Dean, who was a sea captain. And uh, to my knowledge, he went down at sea. And the house, it's beautiful. It's in Poor shape because it's old and not well taken care of. But I love living there because of the history. And it at one point was a hotel. It was a Dutch East India hotel for a little while. Oh, that's so then cool. Then it was turned into like a tea room. Um, if you go into my neighbor's apartment, you can actually see where the coat check room was at one point. And then it was like a gross rooming house. Now it's apartments. And shortly after I had moved in 
for the first time after the tour. I've taken Luke out for his walk, which I'm probably going to have to take him out for a walk again soon. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I took him out for the walk, opened the door to my apartment, and from inside, we heard a woman's voice say, good dog. And I didn't think anything of it because I knew somebody was coming over to visit. And then I realized she wouldn't have a key to get in. So that's weird. And then Luke didn't want to go in. I had to like yank him in. And he just was staring at the corner of the room from which the voice emanated. Oh my God. And that was definitely eerie. But then the nail in the coffin that really makes the special is when I looked into the lore of the house, when the woman was there alone as a widow, she became obsessed with her pets. Some people would have called her an animal hoarder at this point in history. So it totally makes sense that she that her would be saying would have... hello to Luke. Wow. And also, as a footnote to that story, there have been a couple of times when both the dog and I have been out, yet my girlfriend thinks we're in there because she hears his little tags jingling around. She hears the little doggy footsteps on the floor. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I mean, what's better than an animal ghost? Oh, I hope he never dies. And when he does, he's being taxidermied. (laughs) Really? Oh, I'm going to keep him forever. Oh, I love that. He's going to be right under that nice portrait of him. (laughs) (laughs) And that, that was one of the things you wanted to ask about too, is what one of my favorite things in Salem is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, In addition to the fact that you can just go out and buy a skull, for example, check out the Magic Parlor. That's also where you can get tickets for Spellbound Tours, by the way. But one of my favorite things about Salem, other than the spooky stuff, is that it is so dog-friendly. Like, I can be in a miserable mood and go outside and immediately be happy because everybody here has a dog. And they're almost all very good dogs. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's several of them with their own Instagram pages. <laughs> yes! You're right. We yes! do have them. Yeah. <laughs> Slinky. There, there are some very, very wonderful dogs around the city. And by the way, even the Dog Biscuit Company here is haunted. New England Dog Biscuit Company. The one right off of... Uh, right next to right, Red's. Yep, yep. yep. Those, the I folks get... who work there wanted us to do an investigation at one point because they were finding really creepy stuff. The guy got some electronic voice recording voices where he claimed he was able to actually make out specific words. They went in one morning and they found the... Do uh, you know what bully sticks are? Not, not really. They're gross. They are... Dried bull penises for the dogs to chew. Oh, my God. And he went in in the morning, and the bully sticks were all laid out in these patterns that looked like runes. What? And they wanted us to investigate, but unfortunately, the landlord didn't really want to know. So we never got in to do an investigation, but the folks who work there and own the Dog Biscuit Company have had some pretty spooky encounters. So next time you get your little friends a treat, uh, just pay attention if anything weird happens. Yeah, that's where I get uh, Felix's catnip from. Oh. Yeah. The little cigar thing you got him the other day, was that? Am I making that up? No, the little, the little pouch thing. The yeah. Little- oh, the- does he get the stuff, the meow wanna? <laughs> <laughs> no, he does not. Yeah, Salem loves its animals. It does. Except it for does. the horrible monkey demon chickens. <laughs> We still, I love those. Those Jeff are my favorite. Those. Loves those. It's because they have the human face. Yes. Okay. So, Mike, you've been leading tours uh, on the streets of Salem for quite a while now. Do you have any really horrible tourist stories? I've only ever in my, what, almost two decades of doing the tour, there have been some rough crowds and more often than not wonderful crowds, but I've only ever had to kick 
one group of people off the tour. <laughs> oh wow! Like usually, you know, if I don't think I've ever if if people mm-hmm. are like people are rowdy, you can sort of tone yeah. them down. You can make fun of them if they're really <laughs> really bad. You know, they'll weed themselves out. But this sometimes one they just leave or group like that. of people. I just straight out told them to leave. I don't even think we'd gotten to Giles Corey, which is maybe our first or second stop on the oh route. Oh my gosh. They were from a reality show. What? I'm not going to say which reality show it was. I'll tell you off air, but I will tell you that they had uh, blowout hairstyles. And this was probably about 15 years ago. And they showed up so trashed and they were so self-important and I just had to tell them they needed to go oh and they weren't even going to get a refund. Like, yeah, they were unbelievably awful. They made it maybe a hundred steps on the tour before I gave them the boot. Did they have like cameras and stuff following them? Was it part of the reality show? Thankfully, no. They were just they, from. Yes. They 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 thought they, they thought it was about them when it was. They still thought the world. Wait a minute! Now I'm trying them. to like figure out what was big 15 years ago. Well, I don't want to. I honestly don't want to say. Right. Because you know. Yeah. yeah I'll yeah. tell you off air. But uh, yeah, oh, we had a really scary bad tour experience a couple nights ago. Maybe maybe like two weeks ago. I was telling the story about the oh, vampires. Oh, you've been posting about this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I posted once. And then one of our other people in the tour community, I think he's way more scared than I was about it even. But uh, so, yeah, I was telling the vampire stories and I had everybody sitting on the steps of the old town hall. And this guy comes up. He comes up and he's just like mumbling to himself. He's talking about uh, assassination days coming, assassination days coming. And I said, oh, yeah? What's assassination day? It's my holiday, and nobody's going to know when it comes. I'm going to choose when it comes. I'm like, oh, okay. And then he just, he he was very earnest. Like, usually, when people say dumb stuff like that on the street, they're like the street kids who want to get a rise out of you, or some of our local derelicts who might be nuts, but they're probably having fun, and they're definitely not going to shoot anybody. But this guy absolutely had the mass shooter vibe Oh my god! and I don't like to call the police, but I actually did call this in. And what made it extra scary was he really had the profile down. He was in probably his mid twenties. He was probably white and he was wearing a white t-shirt. He looked just like anybody who'd go to one of the downtown bars that like the college and post-college people will go to. You wouldn't like, even know. You would have no idea who this guy was. And he was uh, proudly saying that his holiday assassination day would be coming soon. So yeah, that was terrifying. Although something really cool that I'm hoping turns out to be real is uh, that the Ted Bundy thing sparked it in my mind. <laughs> Uh, are you guys familiar with the serial killers who get referred to as the Ken and Barbie killers? Uh, Would that be I, like people that go after oh no, couples? This is, this is a specific oh, like, couple. Oh. You want to look them up. It's gross. Their whole story would take another episode, and it doesn't quite pertain to Salem. But it was people who were on the surface were a perfect couple, but they were doing absolutely disgusting things. Now, the woman in the couple, she flipped on the man and she only served a very short amount of time in prison. She was released to great controversy a couple of years ago. 
And as you guys know, whenever anybody buys a ticket for the ghost tour, you see the name they put in on the manifest. Are you kidding me right this now? woman's name <gasps> is on the manifest for sometime later this year. Oh. And I really hope it's her. I know she changed her name after the crimes, but I wonder if maybe her credit card was old or something. Um, I, I doubt it's really going to be her. It's probably just some unfortunate woman who shares the same name, mm. but it is a pretty distinctive name. I'm going to bring like a knife that night for her to sign just in case. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be her. It's probably somebody messing with us, but I hope it's her. <laughs> That's so cool. Let us know. I sure will. Yeah, we get, we get a lot of fun people on the tour. Um, I always have to mention some hocus pocus stuff because we passed by one of the filming locations mm -hmm. and there was a group who got really tickled by the prospect of hocus pocus. And it turned out they were the folks who in real life had taken care of Binks the cat. <gasps> Stop it. Mm -hmm. What? And that's the same reaction everybody else on the tour had. Like we've had celebrities on the tour you would recognize and people think that's cool. But I have never seen a group get more excited when they found out that Binks's family was with us. <laughs> so I actually had a an interesting coincidental mm -hmm. uh, interaction with some folks. We were talking about hanging versus burning. And yes, they asked, yes. you know, I hear all the time about burnings of witches. It's like, no, 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 no burnings. And we've we've talked about this quite a bit on the podcast, but because it is a capital crime and the capital punishment for England was yes. hanging. I have to do that explanation too. Uh, every all time. the time. All the time. So but I, I feel like people really appreciate that. They do. And it's a very simple question that somehow just has not been put to bed. And it's very easy to answer. So I I go a little bit further and I explain, yes, it's even been done to animals oh, too. Yes. And I bring up, I don't know if you guys are, I'm sure you are familiar with the elephant that yes! was executed oh, by yes. hanging. Yep. So Wait, the I, elephant that was executed by hanging. Yes. So he. I thought you were talking about. Topsy. Topsy. This is not going to be about Topsy, I don't believe. No. Okay. I didn't know he had a name. Topsy. No, Topsy was the one that Edison electrocuted, then they hung. Oh, I thought we were talking about the elephant that came to Salem. No, no, that was the one they hanged. Oh my gosh, no, I'm talking That's, about... A, I'm, how many elephants have been hanged? <laughs> Good Lord, what if we stumbled Are you upon? talking about the drunk elephant? No. Okay. I thought you were talking about the drunk elephant. I don't think this is Topsy. No, no, top, Topsy about. is later. Topsy, Topsy was is a later. casualty of Coney Island. Okay, so there was an elephant was in the circus and it had stomped on or injured at least one person. Um, and it may have even been more than one casualty, but they wanted to punish this elephant. So they put it on trial for murder and then they executed it with a crane. So I just lightly sprinkle in a couple details to that explanation as to why they executed with hanging rather than burning. Right. And a couple stops later, the couple that I had been explaining this to, they go, yeah, so that was actually our town that they brought the elephant to. <gasps> what? What? That's so cool. Like, what? Oh, that's great. Here's another I can't even remember one. the name of the town, but, but what? I that's think it was somewhere so cool. in Wisconsin, somewhere oh, in the Midwest. Probably like Barbara Mich or Michigan something, or something. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that sparked something in my mind uh, about the sideshow stuff. So I love the historic sideshows. I 
spent part of my life working with them. Um, as you might have seen in the house, I've got portraits of all the famous freaks. Yes. And it's just such a wonderful culture and a wonderful part of American and world history. And there was a family whose last name was Lentini. And Lentini is a pretty unique name. So I had to ask. I asked, uh, are you related to the guy who had three legs? And it turned out they were. They had just recently done their genealogy and found out that like their great uncle was Francisco Lentini, the famed three-legged man who ended up owning his own sideshow. Uh, I hope they're listening because if they get in touch with me, I do have an extra one of his pitch cards I can send them. Um, I want to get that back into the family. Yeah, that's... Um, I did I did mention the fact that he also had a little extra uh, thumb growing on his knee. But I did not mention the fact he had two sets of working genitals. Uh, <laughs> oh. I figured they could find that out on their own. But it was really he, fun to have uh, Lentini descendants on the tour a couple he, months uh, ago. Is he part Klingon? <laughs> well, that's why poor Jadzia was always in the infirmary. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Do you think every time they went into the bedroom, Worf would say, today's a good day to die? <laughs> oh. And then poor Dr. Bashir had to treat them. <laughs> he must have been jealous. <laughs> Deep although, Space Nine is the best Star Trek he series. he had Garrick to, to comfort he him. He did. He certainly did. <laughs> I really hope they do a like where are they now kind of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> oh, I don't. Oh, maybe. I was I was hoping would get more quark. I love the Ferengis. <sighs> Sarah's over here, like what on earth? Have Sorry. you not watched Deep Space Nine? Sorry, no. Oh, it's the best of all the Star Trek. I don't know. It's one of my least favorite. Oh. Have you gotten through all of it? Okay, so so this I'm going to throw these earphones okay, down. Hold on, hold on. I, I don't want to get into this too much, but well, maybe we can uh, cut it if it's not pertinent. Sure. Um, so within the scope of D Space Nine, you have uh, several main characters. You have like the head of security, the head of the station, the head of, of communications. A lot that, of heads, right? A lot of heads, and they're always the ones who are doing all the things. And you have no secondary or tertiary characters, like like the cartoon Lower Decks, right? You have yes. all those. Yep, guys. Yep. And from uh, a standpoint where I spent eight years in the Marine Corps, the chiefs of all of these operating units are not the ones going and doing all the things. You're right. not sending, you know, oh, we're going to send the chief of security, head of the station, uh, uh, head of engineering off into the on a destroyer to, to go do a thing. That totally makes sense. You're like, you are probably never leaving your office much <laughs> much less going to do all these things. And I understand the nature of the storytelling right. within deep space nine, but I'm like, if, if you could have just made like all these main characters be like, they don't have to be the heads of the station, just like two or three steps down. And then you have much more free reign to go and do all the things that they're claiming they're doing. Yeah. And it just sort of, whenever I watch it, it just sort of bugs me on like on that level. And like I'm a like, minutia. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Even in next generation, the chain of command was messed up. Like, Dr. Crusher ended up taking the bridge. But in, at the same time, in like uh, TNG and stuff, Riker's like, no, Picard, you can't go anywhere. Smart. Get back. What? <laughs> I said, that's smart. Yeah. Get back in your chair. I'm the, ch we're going to go. And he grabs like five guys who aren't, he's like, okay, for this one mission, we might need the chief of security. He's like, give me four security guys. 
and then he goes on the mission. And the security guys will never come back. No, they never come back. <laughs> I had a I had a guy on my tour the other night wearing a, a red shirt. Oh it's, no! So it said red shirt, and I was like, you know, listen, I got to be extra careful with you. I don't want you to be the first person to die on a tour. Well, are you checking your phone? Are you not down no. for Star Trek talk? Sorry, no, I'm. I've never seen Star Trek, and my dad would appreciate this conversation. I was just looking up a little bit more about this hanging elephant for clarification. <laughs> Although, so getting back to it, when you were talking about the elephant, have you seen recently in the news, the woman in India who was killed by an elephant? No, what happened? So like, this is like within the past few days or weeks, a woman is killed by an elephant. She's 70 years old. And then at the funeral, the same elephant comes back, attacks the funeral and takes her body and like smashes it. What Nuh-uh. did she do to that elephant? I, I'm, I'm dead serious. No, I believe it. They're smart. There was that news story about the guy who worked with elephants and then he was dying way, way far away from the elephants, yet somehow they could sense it. They know. And they walked for miles they know. and miles what? and went to greet him on his deathbed. They like reached their trunks through their windows and he petted them. Oh my gosh. Yeah, elephants, are, they should not be hanged. And no joke. Yeah, you can go, go, this happened, I'm trying to Google it now. I was looking at it while you guys were talking. That was one of the uh, standout pieces in the Museum of Death in New Orleans, that little back room where they have the snuff film kind of things. One of them shows somebody's head being stomped by an elephant and it's like a watermelon. Ooh. It's like the, the car running over the guy's head in the toxic Avenger, but it's a real head and a real elephant. Anyone else smelling smoke again? A little bit. Am if I we get enough elephants, they can put it out. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the drunk elephant story. Have you guys talked about that on the we, podcast? We have not. Not at, yet. Oh. At all. I, I, I don't know when, we're sa- I mean, I guess now is a time, a good a time as, as any. That's one of my favorite Salem stories. Will you tell us? I will indeed. So the very first elephant to come to the United States, he first made landfall in Salem, Massachusetts. Now, they loaded him up onto the ship in India, and they didn't figure how much water an elephant would drink. And so they ran out of elephant water, water for elephants like that, not very good book, but so they ran out of water and they had to give the elephant the sailors beer rations. And by the time the elephant landed in Salem, he staggered down the gangplank and they tried to give him water and he turned his trunk up at water for the rest of his life. <laughs> he only would drink beer. <laughs> and you can, you can see the broadside posters about this elephant. They, they call it like the strangest curiosity ever to be in the States. And they, uh, the artist must've never seen an elephant because it has a weird dinky little snake like trunk, but it was only slurping beer through that trunk. Oh my Eventually gosh. he had a bad end too. I think, I, he, I think he died not shortly after he trumped through some farmer's field and they shot him. Yeah. Yeah. Drunk, probably. Yep. He, but also, I, I, I believe the first a place. A short life, was, but a uh, merry one. He went cow tipping. Uh, the, the first place he was put on display was Derby Square. Yes. Right? Yep. He was a crown and shield yes. passenger, I believe. Yes. Which brings me to another point. Uh, we see some people complaining about the festivals on the common. Mm-hmm. And I just want them to look at the pictures. Even into the 1980s, they would have circuses on the common. The commons were made for public entertainment. Uh, you can see pictures of whole troops of elephants within our lifetime stomping around on the common. So when people complain about having a little fun house on the common, just remember it was made for elephants. And it could be worse. <laughs> well, and they say elephant dung is great fertilizer for tomatoes, so they should be thankful the elephants are coming. <laughs> More tomatoes. <laughs> so when you were younger, you you, t- you talked about that, that uh, Frankenstein movie. Yes. Is that still your favorite horror movie? 
Or do you have a favorite more horror movie that has come out since then that trumps that? Oh, that is a tough one because I love so many horror movies. Yep, I, you I got one. Sort of break it down by genre. So pick one. <laughs> oh, boy. I love Dr. Fibes so much I've got a tattoo of him, but I've got to say, oh, and Freaks is so good. <laughs> and like if we're going to go to slashers and stuff, there's the burning. But I would I've say- I've never heard of any of these. Take notes. I am. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, this is tough. Like- Mm, the Raven has Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, and they're both so good. And Karloff has that line like, maybe if I wasn't so ugly, I wouldn't do such ugly things. But, oh boy, I might have to go with Murders in the Rue Morgue from 1932. That's uh, Lugosi, hot off of Dracula, being punished because he didn't agree to play the Frankenstein monster. And it was a director, I believe, Robert Flory. And it was a very loose adaptation of the Edgar Allan Poe story. And it starts in like a carnival sideshow kind of setting. And it's very impressionistic. It almost looks like the watch the cabinet of Dr. Caligari when they were doing the art design. And Lugosi is kind of struggling with his English, but he's talking about uh, how they can make the, the, the best person. It's going to be evolving from an ape into a man and he's doing mad scientist stuff he's got an educated ape named eric and it's just wonderful and then he he gets this uh woman who he doesn't realize was like a sex worker and he's going to use her blood to do the mad science and then he realizes she has impure blood (laughs) and ends up having to you know dispatch her in the river and the ape is going out and doing the murders and it's so dark and creepy looking somewhat bizarre and oh it is the ape stuffs somebody up into uh into a chimney like in the book there's uh implications that the ape is having inappropriate interactions with people and then there's Lugosi just lording it over and performing like he's on stage and all the sets are just so eerie and off kilter it's it's the universal production value but it's more of like a b-movie kind of thing and it's very very creepy and it's a lot of fun say that one again for me the name murders in the rue morgue 1932 with Bela Lugosi and Eric the ape. <laughs> <laughs> the ape was a guy in a suit, though. Did did he have a, a like the Sasquatch? <laughs> <laughs> it was implied. implied. <laughs> there was implications. They they couldn't show. Although for the time, it was very scandalous. The uh, the censors hated the movie because when the woman was. Uh, being used for the experiments. They had her tied up in a very bondagey looking position. And she was also on almost like a crucifix. So it was offensive to both Catholics and people who didn't like sex. Oh, so how, how dare we? Oh, the it, TV hasn't changed much. Yeah. <laughs> it's remember, such a good movie. I remember I was watching a, a, a document, something on uh, the, the new Hannibal, new, the newer Hannibal TV show. Um, and it was very gory and, and whatnot. And there was this this position where they had flayed these two people and their back skin was sort of in these angel mm. wing things. And I guess the censors were like, we can see some butt crack. <gasps> um, so 
they they were okay with all the flesh and the mutilation, yes. but the butt crack was where they drew the line. Ooh, don't even say butt crack. I'm scandalized. <laughs> so so what the set designers did is they just threw more blood oh, onto boy. the scene, which onto then, the butts. Can you imagine cons- being that actor having to wash that out? <laughs> it was probably staged. It was probably a oh like a CGI. Yeah. Blood? Uh. So they just added more blood to the scene, so that the the butt crack was too much, but the the heaps of blood was okay. So. <laughs> Um, so we got your favorite horror movie, but uh, as this is Salem, it is the witch city. It sure is. Do you have a favorite witch or wizard? Mm. Well, I wanted to be obscure and say like, oh, Vincent Price in The, the Mad Magician, but I'm going to go kind of basic on this one. I love Professor Marvel in The Wizard of Oz. Oh. Like, honestly, as far as the portrayal goes... It's wonderful. Like you go into his little gypsy style caravan and it's got the skulls and the tapestries and he creates the image of being this all powerful, all knowing guy who can tell the future. But really he's just doing little parlor tricks. Like he puts the blindfold on Dorothy and looks in her purse to find the information. And then by the end of the story, as the actual wizard in Oz, as the title of the movie and book is, he becomes the guy who kind of saves the day. So I like the fact that we've got the wizard who is a total charlatan, but in the end kind of makes himself into a real wizard. That's, that's the one I'm going to go with. Professor Marvel. That's fabulous. That's, that's, this uh, might be like, I think this is like my favorite question to it's ask. It's complex. Everyone. Have you gotten good answers on that one? Yeah. And they're yeah. always different. They're always different. Although we've gotten a lot of long bearded men for the uh, favorite Oh, wizard. like Oberon Zell is cool. Did, did, has he come up yet? <laughs> no. Oh, no. He was the guy in Vermont who learned how to mess with goat horns when they were babies. He would take the horn buds and graft them so they'd grow out like a big unicorn horn. What? And he was the guy who did the uh, the unicorn for Ringling Brothers in the 80s. Um, and he also, he founded like a commune up in Vermont, a witchy commune. Well, it's he, Vermont. He published the uh, Green Egg Pagan magazine. So as far as like a flesh and blood real wizard... Oberonzel is super cool. And he's got a nice long beard. Oh, yeah, he looks the part. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. Now, while we're talking about the Wizard of Oz, something that's come up kind of recently, I'm curious, where do you guys fall on the green face issue? As in like... People making themselves up as witches. Oh. Because there were some people in the modern witch and pagan community who find the green face paint and the hook nose stereotype to be just horrifically offensive. Interesting. And there are other people who embrace it as, oh, it's just fun and kitschy and it gets people into witchcraft. And maybe if you see, you know, the Wicked Witch or the Witch in HR Puff and stuff or whatever, and you think that's fun, it might lead you to learning more about real witches. Right. So, so this sort of touches back on something we've talked about a few times, or is that tourism pop culture verse history narrative. Um, and I think witches are, are weird in that sense because <laughs> that could be the tagline. <laughs> witches are weird. I, I mean, we can just do that. Right. <laughs> um, but because when it comes to our wide range of supernatural beings, vampires, yes. uh, uh, skeletons, werewolves, uh, whatever the Frankenstein's monsters, ghosts, all these things, Witches are the only ones that are or could be considered real. 
Oh yeah, we've interacted with them all day long. Yeah, so you, whether you, you have these people who are actually practicing uh, Wiccan and, and, and pagan beliefs, and they identify as witches, uh, and that's very different. You're not going to skeletons aren't walking around the streets. You don't I have wish. right, I, <laughs> right? They 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 stay static. Uh, so that's a, an interesting idea because is that some sort of appropriation on some level? And I don't know. But at the same time, you have. Okay, so as someone who studies history, to me, what's more fascinating is people's interpretation of it Mm. and how they react to it. Mm -hmm. I don't personally practice any type of witchcraft. um, And even if I did have the time, uh, because I mean, honestly, like it does take a lot of time and dedication. I don't. I can't say I would or would not be offended by that. I don't think I would only I because I look at it as a historic, it's like an, it's a historic interpretation. Everyone has their own perception of a witch, whether they watched Hocus Pocus growing up or they saw the wizard of Oz and they saw the, I had a kid on tour ask me, would the witches melt? Like and oh, no. they, they were referring to 1692 because that was their only that was under- their reference point exactly. for witchcraft. Mm-hmm. So I I'm not going to be one to say no. This is not the right kind of witch or no. This is this is the right kind of witch. I appreciate the wide breadth of witchcraft interpretation. The spectrum, the scope of yes, witchcraft. yes. There's so and and then you, then you can bring it to all over the world, like each culture and throughout time, throughout centuries, we all have these different interpretations of witches are, and like, that's more of a crone sort of concept of a witch, but there are young women, there are old men. There's, you know, when you look at the trials, the people who are executed fit a dozen different narratives of who they are and how they fit in the community. And people like, well, it was all just these old, it wasn't. Look at Abigail Hobbs. I'm kind of in love with Abigail Hobbs. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's all sorts of people from all, and like culturally, we've talked about some of them before and how their roles fit into the, the narrative of a, of a witch. So I don't, I don't think that should be offensive. Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll actually, I'll, I'll take a stand. Yeah, I'll, I, I tend I'll, to agree I'll with hop you. on over there with you. I know there are other, there are other folks in the community who are anti-greenface, but I think it, I think it's fine. But other people will strongly disagree. Had conversations with friends about it. I but, oh, I'm sorry. Oh no, it's okay. I I am looking forward to eventually sitting down with some old, long-standing witches of Salem who have been here for decades, and maybe they are get may- Therese from the magic parlor. Do oh, you know her? I do not. She is super. Um, okay. She's a witch going back to the 1960s. She's like part of the Laurie Cabot crew. Yeah. And she it, she dresses the part every day. She's got like the frilly sort of goth hippie stuff, even yep. though she's an older woman. And she is the most nice, positive, cool person ever. And she's a Salem witch from back when the modern pagan revival started. See, that's like, what I want. I want the timeline. She, I want someone who's I seen it. Love Therese so much. Oh, Definitely get her. That would be um, fabulous. She's seen. All of it, from like when they first opened the first witch shop, through the big boom in tourism, to when you know the craft made everybody want to be a witch, mm-hmm. and she's still living it now. And even though she's like our grandparents' age, she has a more active social life than any of us in this room do. Like she's super. I love Therese. I love it. Oh, now I'm excited to meet her. <laughs> yeah, look her up. Look her up. Therese Devoe. We got her, or at least hopefully. Do you have any advice to people? Visiting Salem. 
Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Wait, would you like to share that advice, advice with the listeners? <laughs> advice for people visiting Salem. I say bring an extra suitcase for all the stuff you're going to buy. Uh, people come here from all over the country to stock up on their witch supplies. Like I remember I was in uh, Hutchinson, Kansas, for example, and I mentioned to a lady who was just working in a shop there that I was from Salem, and she very like darts her eyes around and sort of coyly pulls out a pentacle necklace from <gasps> underneath her shirt. And she's like, you're from Salem. I can, I can actually show you this. <laughs> and we get people... Like that, who are from all over the world, who they come here and they go nuts because you can go to the stores and get like any god or goddess statue you want. It's almost like the action figures. You can pick and choose yes. whichever mm-hmm. ones you want. And then there's all the witchy fashion and then there's all the fun tourist trinkets. And you like, can walk around with your yeah, pentacle or yeah. pentagram out and no one gives you a second look. Bring an extra suitcase for all the fun stuff you're going to buy. Um, that's my number one thing. Also, do just a little bit of research before coming here, um, both about the attractions. Find out what you want to go to so you don't get surprised. Like everything, I I recommend pretty much all the attractions, but some of them aren't for everybody. Um, Some are more serious, some are more all in fun. So do your research. Find out what speaks to you, what you want to learn about. Find out what you want your experience to be, and then you can sort of cater your experience to your own tastes. So, yeah, be prepared to buy a lot of stuff and plan. You really do want to plan. I I can't agree with you more on that second part. Yeah. Because so often people are like, what would you recommend to do in Salem? And I'm like, I don't know you. What do you like? (laughs) Right? If if you have no interest in first period architecture or, you know, American (sighs) literature, I am not going to send you to the Witch House or to the House of Seven Gables. However, if if you love horror movies, I am going to send you to Count Orlock's Nightmare Museum. Oh, I love that place. Right? Yeah, by the way, the snore was for first period architecture. I I like literature. Yes. But I would say, I would argue that even if architecture bores you to tears, the Witch House is absolutely essential. Like, that's really the only place in Salem that you get a real taste of what life would have been like for these people who survived and Mm -hmm. died during the witch trials. It tells the story through artifacts. Like, everybody who comes to Salem should go. Yes. Yeah, we love the corpse medicine. Everybody who goes to Salem needs to go to the the witch house. That one is on everybody's list. But do do a little little Googling. Like, even... uh, a lot of folks, like I'll see kids with uh, T-shirts with Cthulhu on it. And I'm like, oh, did you know H.P. Lovecraft wrote a story about Salem? And they have no idea. Like, what? And you're like, okay, the thing on the doorstep's like, eh, mediocre, but. Well, uh, the Pickman's model. Yes. Pickman's model, which I'm glad that sort of organically came up. Because squatting right next to the Charter Street Cemetery is a creepy little brown house, which is now the uh, cemetery welcome center for the Charter Street Cemetery. The ghost story that's usually attributed to it the story about the depending on who's telling it it's always a man and it's always a woman the woman has done something to upset the man so he murders her by pouring hot wax down her throat and all over her body and basically makes her into like a wax candle woman and she dies horrifically and people say they see her screaming in the windows that is Totally bunk. That is a made-up story, which can be traced to uh, somebody from the Wax Museum many, many, many years ago. Oh, how convenient. It's like right there. (laughs) 
<laughs> but that never happened. Uh, Jeff Page from the tour Sarah works for, Indeed. he did trace a real murder to that house. But uh, yeah, there's, there is evidence of a real murder that took place there, but it did not involve a wayward lady and an angry man coating her with hot wax. That's That's a lie. But that house is historically significant from a literary perspective because when H.P. Lovecraft visited Salem, that inspired him to write his story, Pickman's Model. Now, in my opinion, Pickman's Model is the best Lovecraft story. I like it because it's got the connection to Salem. It's a good, creepy story. But more importantly, it's from the story Pickman's Model that we have that insidious myth of the tunnels underneath Salem from Pickman's model in Lovecraft's imagination. Some of the people from the witch trials were using this network of underground tunnels to scurry all the way to Boston and that nobody ever mentioned the tunnels before Lovecraft had that story published in the 20th century. It's incredible how a little pocket, a little piece of information can just grow and grow and grow and transform. And then you have these full-blown legends that right. are attributed to Salem that people still today on the streets, you'll hear them talking about it. I actually had heard that that murder that you just talked about at the Pickman house where the woman was covered in wax, but I had heard that she was covered in hot tar, which sounds just as bad, but yeah. Probably way worse. It would peel more skin off. It would. Then again, when wax gets really hot, if it's candle wax, it'll really burn you. I don't know. Could we test it? What's Kate up to? What's Kate up to? Kate! You're the one who bleeds Pepto-Bismol. I do. Oh, yes. That's another thing. If you're going to be in Salem, you're going to eat a lot. Bring some Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> we can cut that if you want. But there is so much good food in Salem these days. It's true. Do, do you have a, a favorite restaurant? I do. It, once again, kind of depends on what you're going for. Yep. But uh, I find, because I work on Essex Street, nearly every day I eat at the clumsily named Essex New York Pizza and Deli. So I, I will fantastic. plug them as well. I think they, they have the best so cookies good. in town. Good cookies, good pizza, uh, really nice folks who work there. I eat there all the time, and they do it nice and quick right before the tour. Yeah. So yeah. they're great. I also like the little Polish place right on Essex Street. Yes. Uh, great pierogies and kielbasa. They make the best Italian sub around here. But those are for just when I'm eating. Like if you're going to go on a date or something, I highly recommend the Tavern in the Hawthorne Hotel. Ah. Um, it's got nice cushy seats. In the winter, they have a big roaring fire. It's one of, like on a, on a Wednesday afternoon or evening in the middle of January or February, you go yes. in there. That's that's probably the best place to, to sit down next to the fire. Then you can sneak around and uh, look in the haunted basement. Oh. Are you a coffee drinker? No. Oh. Tea? I do like tea. Is there a specific place in town? That Jolie you- Tea is oh, very I nice. It. I haven't been there in a while. I should go back again. I always really enjoyed them. They had this like vanilla orange blend that was very pleasant. They've got like over 200 teas in there. That place is incredible. Saw, didn't you put some pictures up from there recently? Yeah, we, we went to do a, a high tea there. Well, Strongly recommend. If you're going to have a high tea, you should go to the Seagrass Dispensary. <laughs> Not That's that not kind my of thing, high, but Mike. they are a very nice one. <laughs> Sarah, Sarah is, 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 that, is that what we're doing? Don't look at me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I 
think people are catching on to this whole question of where's where do you like to get coffee? Because one of our listeners that I had on tour the other night, one of the first questions he asked me was, so where's your favorite coffee? Oh, that's fun. And then and then we were right next to the Peabody Essex Museum. You know those lights? You know the lights because know your the lights. your promo photo I love. You Do are you? standing. I'm thinking about getting a new one of those done. I thoroughly enjoy that I photograph mean, uh, of you. I, I might redo the same photo. Yeah. If you if you get rid of yours, Jeff's gonna go and steal it. Oh, then it. I'm gonna keep it forever. <laughs> I'm keeping it forever. But if you've been to Salem, you know if you walk down that uh, greenway next to the Peabody Essex Museum, alongside the brick, they've got all that recessed lighting yes. in the ground. And as I'm finishing up the tour and I'm chatting with our listeners, one of the first things he says is, psst, psst, psst. "Is that is that the entrance to the tunnels over there?" No. <laughs> As a joke, as a joke. Oh, it was so good. It was you should, so you should good. just been like, yes. And then he's like, then he's like, so let's talk some shit about other tours. And I was like, no, no, we can't do that. That's for <laughs> off mic. Although, while we're talking about tunnels and substances, do your listeners know of the bunghole? I, I think we, we have, should we should reserve that. Should we reserve yeah, it for okay. the, the ghost story yeah. episode? Okay, yeah, yeah. We'll, okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we, we we've got a lot of we, we gotta keep some some good stuff. And we wanna do the sideshow stuff next time or did we wanna do that today? We can do the sideshow stuff next time. Okay. Do we have any do we have any like ghostly encounters related to it possibly? We sure do. Yes. Probably my favorite true yes. ghostly tale of all time comes from my time with the sideshow. Very nice. Okay. So we're going to be sitting down once again with Mike Vitka, and we are going to be talking about ghost stories, because telling some Salem-centered ghost stories. Because uh, both Sarah and I give more history tours, and Mike, you run the ghostly tour. Yes. And to my knowledge, we are the first paranormal-themed tour in Salem. Oh. Uh, when, when Molly started Spellbound, there was one other tour operating, and they focused mostly just on the history. Molly, because of her background in paranormal, and as well as the uh, trend at the time for all the ghost shows on TV, was very smart to capitalize on not just the ghost stories, but the actual paranormal investigation part of it. And we were the first paranormal tour in Salem. The science behind and it. And how many tours are there now? 71 last time I checked? TripAdvisor has a lot. I think there's only about 15 or 20. Okay. And growing every day. Mm. Always. Full disclosure, that was my first tour job. Oh, that's I, right. That's I, right. Won't, I won't say it. <laughs> oh, But you, they did, you could rent EMF detectors. That's fun. And so like I would give the people that, but I felt so bad because I'm not, I'm not a paranormal oh, investigator. Okay, okay. You I'm know? glad you brought up the EMF detector. Um, basically what that does is oh, it. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. All right. All right. We'll all right, put that right. for next we'll time. We'll cap it. We'll cap it. We've got plenty here. I think one, one last question. Do you have any advice to give the people out there? It can be Salem-related, life-related. Advice, advice from Dr. Vitka. Funny. Advice from Dr. Vitka. I mean, honestly, if we're going to be philosophical about it, just like do what you want to do. Like have fun. <laughs> like don't don't waste your life just being boring and stupid. Like <laughs> do what you actually want to do. Like yes. I enjoy doing the tours, and when I stop enjoying it, I'm going to do something else. And that's what... Everybody should do. Just do what they want to do and have fun. I love it. I appreciate that so much. Um, Huzzah. 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 Uh, so <laughs> before we uh, jump out, do you want to plug what you've got? Yes. Uh, 
If you want to take the premier ghostly tour in Salem, go to the Spellbound Tours website. That's spellboundtours.com. Also, tickets are available the day of, if they're not sold out, at the Magic Parlor at 213 Essex Street in Salem, obviously. Oh, one more bit of advice. Yes. Please, when you buy tickets, whether it's for Spellbound or... Uh, bewitched or better than fiction or whatever in the world you want to do, make sure you are coming to Salem, Massachusetts. <laughs> I can't tell Not you how many times it's happened. I've been at the visitor center at the Paul Revere bell where we meet the tour and I'm checking people in and I'm looking at the manifest and there's like a name or two that aren't there. So I call them up and ask, um, are you running late? Do you want to come on a different day? Where are you? We're at the bell and we've got to get started. And the people will say, yeah, we're here. We're here at the visitor center. Where are you? Like, yeah, I'm here. I've been here for 20 minutes. They're in Salem, Oregon oh or Salem, New Hampshire, <laughs> waiting to learn the history of the Salem, Oregon, witches. it's happened every year since I've been doing this. So please remember these are tickets for Salem, Massachusetts. So go to spellboundtours.com to get your tickets. There's also a fun blog we need to update with some ghost stories on it. We have the Spellbound Tours Instagram, which is mostly just fun Salem pictures and stuff. And also, if you have photographs of uh, your own ghostly images you want to get debunked or you want me to try to authenticate, go on to spellboundtours.com. We have an email link. It takes a while to get back to you, but we do eventually get back to everybody. Well, thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. And we will we will be having you back next week to talk about some spooky haunted Salem Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Remember, if you've been enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell a couple of your friends. And uh, check us out on all the social medias. That's at Salem the Podcast. We will definitely be sharing some elephant photographs <laughs> after today's interview. And any questions, please feel free to email us, hello, at Salem the Podcast. And even though we will be recording our Salem Ghost Stories episode soon, please still send those in. Yeah, we'd love to. We can share those as well through the coming months if you're coming in October. Uh, but whenever you come to Salem, if you're looking to book a tour with Sarah or myself, links to both those companies are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you later. You have a good voice for this. Thank you. That's why it started. I had so many participants like, do you have a podcast? Do you read audiobooks? Oh, those are just perverts. That's, uh, ben wants to, to borrow do. this stuff to yeah, do that. Yeah. yeah. I know. I, I gen- This is going to sound gross. Maybe. Maybe not. I think he should read erotica. Oh. I, I, think- I really think he, I think there is a market for it. Bigfoot erotica. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> there is definitely a market for that. That's what I got them for the past two years for the Magic Parlor Yankee Swap Christmas thing. There's a Magic Parlor Yankee Swap Christmas? For the folks associated with the Magic Parlor, oh yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. I got a book called something like, uh, oh, what was it? It was something like Fertilized by the Behemoth Sasquatch. <laughs> and then a horrible movie from the 60s called The Geek, which is... Like a pornographic film, the Sasquatch is a man in a gorilla suit with a strategic cutout. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bigfoot sex. Okay.
<laughs> you can leave that in. Welcome to Salem the podcast. Yeah, this is this is gonna be good. Um, da, 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 da. And then let's talk ghost stories. So we're just gonna be like, and we're gonna keep Mike on the podcast to talk about Salem haunted. The tunnels, Shit. the very real tunnels. <laughs> You're done. <laughs> exactly.